0: Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If someone said it was a happy little tale- Uh,
1: Satsu? Yeah? What are you doing?
0: Nothing.
1: oh uh, anyway, welcome to Spider-Man Mum.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Spider Man Month. My name's Satsunami, and swinging in once again is none other than the one and only amazing Andrew. Andrew, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back, and looking forward to talking about another episode in our Spider Man Month. I was indeed going to invite Adam or Craigie C., but I have been told by the Red Panda lawyer that they are contractually obligated to film their spin off podcasts. So, unfortunately, it's just going to be you and I tonight, Andrew. Oh, no sinister six, then. No, it's more like troublesome twos, I think. <laughs>
1: Devious doubles, if you will. (laughs) But yeah, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, yeah. Christmas and New Year have come and gone here. Happy New Year to to all our listeners. It'll be New Year from the previous episode, but not when we recorded it. But yeah, it's been lovely here. Great to be back in uh, the Chatsunami Towers, the recording studio, to speak again on another podcast episode for the year. I know. Honest to goodness. I feel as if
0: 2022 has just gone by in a flash. Christmas came and went, New Year came and gone and now we're on our second episode of 2023 so absolutely crazy the speed that this podcast is going at. As we kind of alluded to we of course are going to be talking about Spider-Man but we are indeed going to be focusing on quite frankly one of the more infamous periods of Spider-Man and of course I'm not talking about the 2007 Spider-Man 3 I'm talking about the 2012 in 2014's amazing Spider-Man series. Contrary to popular belief, it might not be as amazing as some people make it out to be, especially that Mark Webb, if he tries to tell you. All joking aside, Andrew, do you want to paint like a picture of this time period in Spider-Man
1: history? Around this time, we have had sort of a renaissance of superhero movies. The MCU is in full swing. We have the Dark Knight trilogy is coming to its conclusion. Conclusion. We have the Avengers movie coming out the same year as the first Amazing Spider-Man movie. We've had the first Iron Man movie, the first Thor movie, the first Captain America movie. Superhero films are in a very different place than they were at the time of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series. So we're in a very different place culturally in terms of superhero films, and so it provides a certain context to the films you are watching that you have much more to compare it to than you did during the Sam. Ramey run. Because I mean, as we said last week, we were indeed talking about how
0: when the Sam Raimi films came out, the genre I suppose as a whole four superhero films were very lackluster, I suppose is the right term. They weren't really revered as being these epic blockbusters. They were seen as being quite silly, quite juvenile. There was only a handful that really broke through the mould. But as you said, as soon as the MCU came into full swing, which we're gonna probably talk about it later but I would say the MCU probably had positives and maybe negative effects on this run as a whole and how the studios handled said films but it is weird to think that it only took about 5 years from Spider-Man 3 to The Amazing Spider-Man for superhero films to change so drastically. Yeah,
1: I totally agree with that. It it was a huge huge jump from Spider-Man 3 to to where we are in the year 2012 with The Amazing Spider-Man. with so many incredible superhero films coming out around that time. I think the, the most notable would be the first Iron Man movie, which really kind of kicked off the modern era of superhero movies. Also honorable mention to Batman Begins, the first Christopher Nolan Dark Knight Batman movie, which both of those movies, I think, were the benchmarks of what superhero movies were and could be and started this new wave of more high-profile superhero films don't get me wrong all the actors who were in
0: those mcu films they were like relatively established but i feel as if it just put them all into the spotlight. You know, you had Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr and as we've established superhero films at the time were completely in a different place. They were in such like a high standing with the public but at the same time and you'll of course know the reason behind this but there was a particular reason why they decided to reboot the Spider-Man franchise because it was about five years in between spider Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man so the Sam Raimi trilogy was relatively fresh in people's minds but do you remember the reason why they decided to reboot it so fast?
1: yeah so because of the sony marvel deal where marvel had sold off its rights to spider-man to sony sony had an obligation as well as fox with their respective marvel properties they had an obligation to make a movie every i think it was every five years or it might have been every like six years within a six-year time period or else the rights would return back to Marvel, who at that point were owned by Disney. So Disney would then own the rights to Spider-Man. So Sony, to protect their ownership of what is their most valuable IP, they produced a brand new Spider-Man movie. And rather than returning to a now aged and not particularly favorable Tobey Maguire Spider-Man after Spider-Man 3, they decided to take a fresh new perspective on it and go a different direction. So they approached Mark Webb to direct this new movie rather than Sam Raimi and cast Andrew Garfield in the titular role of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. It does
0: seem weird to think though that they did have the relatively bare building blocks for a Spider-Man 4. You know they had like the vulture costume prototype, they had the, like I, I don't know how far if they had like the full script or kind of the basic outline for the film but they definitely had something to go forward with but obviously because of disputes and everything that completely fell through we had a myriad of youtube videos which uh, as i said last week they were all oh look it's carnage or oh look it's shocker that's going to be in the next film and of course that never materialized until they actually announced that as you said andrew garfield was going to be taking on the mask and the web shooters well technically toby Maguire didn't have web shooters but that's beside the point i know i call myself a spider-man fan andrew i'm um, sorry for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was quite a strange time because obviously, as you said, Sony had to make this film to keep it, but nobody was really and this isn't like a slight against anyone who worked on the film, not the actors, not the director, nobody, but nobody was really asking for this film,
1: were they? No, I think we were we were already pretty satisfied with the superhero films that had come out. We were happy with the Spider-Man films that we had, so there wasn't a great clamouring for a new spider man film unless it was a Spider-Man film that was part of the Marvel universe because that was one of the great criticisms with Spider-Man at the time that he could not be a part of the rest of these Marvel characters like he is in the comic books because of the ownership of the fact that Sony owned Spider-Man and uh, so Marvel couldn't play with one of its most favorite toys when it came to making the Disney Marvel movies which is of course why when we'll get to it next week but it was such a big deal when during the Tom Holland run we were able to branch them together and make a cohesive Spider-Man within the MCU. Because
0: it's quite weird, if you look at external Spider-Man media, like, for example, the comics, the TV shows, you'll see a lot of crossovers. You'll see Spider-Man fighting with the X-Men, you'll be fighting with the Avengers, you'll be fighting with this whole colourful cast of characters. But obviously, due to ownership rights and everything, the same can be applied to the films and it does seem like that definitely limited it because at the time, the MCU was a relatively new concept. Like, don't get me wrong, crossover films were a thing. Freddy meets Jason. Yeah, Freddy meets Jason, King Kong versus Godzilla, you know, those kind Alien of films. Alien versus Predator. Alien versus Predator, that was the next one. But that, that's exactly the case. It's like, it's not a new idea to say, oh, we're going to cross these characters over. But at the same time, When it came to Spider-Man, it was like, well, where is the X-Men? Where's the Avengers? Where's all these different superheroes that they could feasibly use? And obviously because of, as we said, the rights to these characters, they couldn't use them. So there was definitely a kind of appetite for an expanded universe, much like the... Marvel Cinematic Universe but we will indeed get into why that really failed here but see without any further ado will we just... I don't even have a funny segue. I don't know does this deserve a funny segue do you think?
1: Um, I don't know I, I mean I, maybe you're more critical of the, of these films than, than I am. I don't think these, these films deserve as much ire as they get but we'll, we'll get into that soon after the ad break. But do you believe that if you could do a good
0: segue for the podcast you indeed have a moral obligation to do those kind of things. That is indeed what is at stake here which is a very long-winded way to say we will be right back after these messages. (laughs) With great ads come great podcasting. That was actually a good segue. Welcome to Chatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Chatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises.
1: Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our subseries Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that's sounds like your cup of
0: tea then you can check us out on spotify itunes and all good podcast apps as always stay safe stay awesome and most importantly stay hydrated
1: movies and feelings pop pop bring your own popcorn is a podcast that dives into people and the movies who love them Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, inviting you to join me and an assortment of wonderful guests on fine podcast apps everywhere. Bring your own
0: popcorn! This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was put a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. <laughs> with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATTSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So the way we're going to structure this episode is very similar to the way we constructed the last episode, we're just going to be talking casually about The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and indeed 2. I feel as if we kind of did a disservice to Raimi's films by leaving Spider-Man to the last last time you know because we felt as if although you know he was obviously entertaining he did a serviceable job spider-man ironically himself wasn't probably the strongest part of that trilogy except for maybe two but you know we have a whole episode of that but will we talk about our main lead andrew garfield
1: yeah for sure my thoughts on andrew garfield as spider-man and as peter parker is that I've warmed to his Spider-Man since I've watched his two films last year, and again within this last week for the recording of this episode. I do think that he is better than I remembered him being, and I particularly think that he is one of, if not the strongest, Spider-Men. As the character, when he puts on the mask, when he acts as Spider-Man with his quips, his quips are very well written, very very well delivered, I think he works very well as Spider-Man. I think he fills that role as the comic's would have, him filled I think he does the best job. As Peter Parker, he is less believable. And it isn't like my initial kind of interpretation of it was, oh, he's this handsome skater boy, like that's not the Peter Parker that I see. I see Peter Parker as an awkward teen who like gets bullied and like maybe looks kind of like a bit more handsome, a bit more built out once he's had the um the spider bite. But from the outset, he's already a handsome Andrew Garfield. However, Andrew Garfield chooses to counter this by acting very awkwardly and and, like hunching over and like having very strange mannerisms and this put on New Yorker accent because the actor himself is British I don't enjoy his Peter Parker very much I don't think it's interesting to watch I find him a bit irritating but that's just me what are your thoughts on his portrayal of Peter Parker
0: I would agree with that I think
1: that definitely is Spider-Man I
0: remember re-watching these films and I remember when I watched them at the time I thought Ugh, I hate this because I was still enamoured with the Raimi trilogy because it was really just a bias that I had because it was like, I grew up with these films, I love them, I love the campiness and everything. So when The Amazing Spider-Man came out, it almost, actually, this is going to sound like a very weird comparison, but it kind of reminds me of the shift between, for example, in James Bond, Pierce Brosnan's run is James Bond versus Daniel Craig's. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because for anybody fans, you'll know what I'm talking about here, but Pierce Brosnan, when he played James Bond, he was very kind of goofy, campy over the top, and there was always kind of a relatively satisfying conclusion to his stories, whereas when it got to Daniel Craig, it was a lot more brooding serious. And that's kind of what I think happened with these films, and I feel as if that kind of ties into Andrew Garfield as a whole, because first of all, re-watching these films, I think out the three of them, completely agree he is by far the best actor he is such a talented actor as Spider-Man, he's very quippy he's very, oh look I'm your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man I love the fact, and this is something I have to admit that the MCU expanded on, that they got him to do things for the community, like there's a scene in I think The Amazing Spider-Man 2 where he actually helps out a child getting bullied and things like that and you know, he walks him home and everything I love small scenes like that where he's like helping the community in the first film where he saves the wee boy and he puts the mask on him to, you know, be brave and everything. I love the way they characterise Spider-Man in that. But when you get to Peter Parker it feels as if the whole tone of the film doesn't fit the kind of cheery optimism of Spider-Man, if that makes sense. On the one hand you've got like this very colourful character who's like, oh look at me, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, Actually, they don't say that, but We'll get onto that later. You know, you've got the colourful Spider-Man and then in the background you've got corporate espionage, you've got spies, you've got, of course, the spin-offs that they were planning in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So it feels as if they all kind of conflict with the fact that you're watching a film about a colourful character called Spider-Man. I have to say, Spider-Man's a bit of a dick. Like, in the first film, you know, see the scene where he's hunting down his uncle's killer. Which, by the way, does he ever find his uncle's killer? I don't think he does. This is something that another reviewer brought up and I was like, holy shit, they're right. Where he goes to hunt for his uncle's killer, doesn't find him, and then one of the thugs is like, oh, we're going to find you and your family, we're going to kill you. And only then is that the moment where he looks up at like this poster and he's like, huh, to get away with my crimes, I should wear a mask. And it's like, Jesus Christ, Peter, that that is just brutal he might as well have just worn a ball of lava and been called spider thug at that point because it is He's like he webs up a guy nearly chokes him and then he does threaten them like he pulls down his sleeve and he sees he's not got the you know the tattoo of the guy who murdered his uncle
1: who again not important at all because after that scene he kind of just gives up an argument against that could be that he kind of has that realization that that's not what uncle ben would want or rather not he personally doesn't have realization but he kind of speaks to Aunt May and kind of has the chat with her and comes to the conclusion that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing yeah and so I think that that is the point where he has a resolution to use his powers for good and to hide his identity because he's told that as you say that showing his face will just lead to people figuring out who he is I do
0: love the scene where practically see that transition where he saves the wee boy on the bridge from you know the fallen card and everything and it's like a really sweet moment because it is it's not just oh look spider-man swooping in like in the raimi films it's like he actually has to talk to the child coax him out be like you know don't be afraid i'm a spider-man which again if i was a child i would be terrified regardless and he takes off the mask it's like oh my god it's andrew garfield i'm a huge fan
1: i particularly like the montage we see of him creating the suit and creating the web slingers and follows those two like nerds around who are like talking about the best pendulum swing action that spider-man could use and he's like making notes behind like that's all very fun i made a note that he's like this top level scientist and also a fantastic seamstress and like just what a, what a dangerous combo that is because i mean in the raimi
0: film he really just draws it doesn't he and then in the next scene it's like oh yeah, I've got it. You know, I've got this really well-made, tailored suit.
1: Yeah, that's like insane that Peter in that, in that universe just does that. What I will say is I do
0: think that the Raimi suit, out of the three film series that we're going to talk about, I think the Raimi suit still is probably the best looking, but in terms of an universe explanation for how he made it, it's probably the most BS. At least it made sense when, as you said, he's trying to think of like, oh, it has to be a spandex suit because it's least wind resistant he has to have like the goggles as well with the spider eyes but he has to have them because obviously he doesn't want wind in his eyes so that is cool here's a question for you though like going back to his characterization do you think he can be quite horrible in some scenes that kind of offsets his
1: goodwill or rather the goodwill that he's set up in previous scenes in the films I can't think of any necessary examples of him being particularly horrible there's points where he gets becomes quite like moody and i i think there's usually justification not not that anyone should be justified in treating someone poorly but you can understand where he's coming from in certain situations and why he's in the dark place that he's at. But there is one scene, actually, I noted in the second one where he crosses the road to go meet with Gwen Stacy and just causes a car accident. Oh, yeah. So he's like, oh, Gwen, hi, Gwen, and just walks across the street. He, like, stops a car initially, like, okay, that was a bit rude. And then he crosses another one, and like a car just crashes into another car because he, to, like, avoid hitting him. And then he just, like, continues about his day. You would need to hang around and file a police report. You've just caused this accident. There's a lot of
0: really weird and consistent moments in Amazing Spider-Man 2, and there's two particular scenes I want to draw attention to. First of all, the one you were referring to there when he walks across the street, there's like an even worse one where he's riffing with, is it Paul Giamatti? Paul Giamatti, yeah. Oh, absolutely wasted role for him. Absolutely. He's so like hammy and over the top. That's what I love about him, because out of all the villains he does stand out. But the issue is, yeah, as you said, he's is very
1: underutilized. I don't know if, how familiar you are with Rhino in the comics. Rhino is a big dumb idiot. Yeah, and so the kind of clumsy quips that Rhino has, that Bajimadi's Rhino has in this. Fits that, but Paul Giamatti is such a good actor that I was, I'm like, oh, why couldn't you have picked someone else for this role and use Paul Giamatti for something else? Like, I, I really hope that Paul Giamatti gets used in like the MCU or something else because he is so, so fun to watch. He's such a fun actor. No, he absolutely was, like, no pun intended, but he was
0: criminally underutilized in this film. But the amount of people that Peter could have saved, see, in the very beginning, where Paul Giamatti is driving down the street and he's crashing into all these cars and all these <laughs> vehicles are flying in the air. and Spider-Man's just like riffing on them. he's like hello I'm your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man you see if it was a one-on-one you know fight and there was no civilians around you think okay that's pretty funny but you're looking around and you're like Jesus Spider-Man I'm pretty sure someone's mum just got crushed under that van they got thrown in the air what are you doing we'll talk about that later probably but like the whole tone of that film's all over the place but another scene and again there is a semi-justification for this. It's what I like to refer to as the Green Goblin Make-A-Wish Foundation scene where Peter goes to visit Harry and without any kind of reason he says that he won't give him his blood because his friend Harry's dying who, of course, becomes the Green Goblin later on and for some weird reason he thinks that Spider-Man's blood will heal him even though later on he gets a suit that heals him which I kind of think well that was a waste of time but he doesn't give him the blood and I kind of get why he's saying I thought he used the spider venom ah he does later but it's like the spider venom in the basement it's not his blood itself yeah I know but it wasn't the suit that healed him no but there's like a kind of weird cutaway where he uses the spider venom and you know he does that like very overdramatic oh I'm dying you know and he's tearing his shirt for some reason but then he climbs into the suit and you see like a status screen or something that says body damaged activating healing protocol or something and I was like why didn't you just start off with that and see how you got on and I know why because obviously they wanted the Green Goblin to come into effect and everything but in universe wise you're like huh they probably could have started with that then went to the spider venom but you know obviously that's a hindsight thing but I'm quite curious what did you think about
1: that scene? The scene where he begs his friend to give him his blood and he's like
0: yeah no I don't think so.
1: I can understand it because i mean he understands that his blood might not be effective and might end up killing his friend and so doesn't want to give him something that might make the situation worse when they're still trying to figure out alternatives and i guess also he's concerned about his identity being figured out by using his blood maybe so i could understand i don't think and this is kind of always the case with these kind of movies that it was conveyed between characters very well like the conversation should have been more clear as to why and like instead of him just being like oh i can't tell more and just jumps out the window at which point harry yells you're a flawed (laughs) spider-man yeah that was hilarious
0: where he is just like, you're a fraud, and he's smashing everything, and he's just outside his window. It's like, Jesus, go go away. I've already done enough damage. It's like, can you save my life? No, but look at this sick trick I can do. What I will say, to kind of summarise my thoughts here, I do think that Andrew Garfield probably was overhated at the time, but I can kind of understand why. Obviously, again, it's not justifiable to throw hatred and vitriol at an actor just because you don't like the person trail, but at the same time the reason for that was probably because it was so early from the Sam Raimi films and I don't think people were quite ready to let go of that. And then, as we said, there was so many MCU films and DC films that were coming out that were doing such a better job of conveying those storylines compared to what the Amazing Spider-Man films necessarily did, but kind of moving on from that, will we talk about the... because we mentioned Harry there, Will we talk about Peter's inner circle? Because we did, surprisingly enough, we did talk a lot about his aunt and uncle in the past film. Would you say they're as prolific in this film?
1: I like Martin Sheen as an actor. And I think he does the role of Uncle Ben well. But I do not think he's as good as Cliff Robertson. And that might just be nostalgia glasses for what was My Uncle Ben. My Uncle Ben being the Sam Raimi's Uncle Ben, played by Cliff Robertson. I don't buy. Martin Sheen's portrayal as well. I don't find him as homely. Yeah.
0: He seems very aggressive, doesn't he? Like, throughout the entire film, and this is something I kind of joked about before we went on the ad break there, but in the Sam Raimi films we talked about how Uncle Ben was very welcoming and he's tried to be the best kind of fatherly figure to Peter and everything. And this is just quite shouty, and don't get me wrong, I get why, because there's like really bad things that Peter does, like forgets to pick up his aunt and things and he's just like quite angry but then we get to one particular scene where he does the whole great power comes great responsibility speech and i absolutely loathe this scene for a number of reasons, but I'll just read it out quickly. Instead of saying, with great power comes great responsibility, he talks about how his father is like Peter, hashtag you got your mother's eyes, all that. And then he says he believed that if you could do good things for other people, you had a moral obligation to do those things. That was at stake here, No choice responsibility here's the question would you buy
1: a t-shirt or a backpack or a sticker of that phrase no i can't say i would (laughs) it's so ingrained in me the with great power comes great responsibility phrase was that unique to the sam raimi spider-man film or was that something from the comics or the cartoon or anything like that has that always been something with spider-man or was that from those movies
0: Yep, very first comic, would you believe. Oh. Introduced by Stan Lee, it originally appeared as a closing narration in the 1962 Amazing Fantasy 15. It was later attributed to Uncle Ben as advice to the young Peter Parker. It's always been a staple of the Spider-Man franchise. It's not like you could say, oh, with great power comes great responsibility as a Sam Raimi thing. So, why they cut that out, I have no idea. Maybe they thought it was too close to the bone, but I mean, the guy shoots webs, for God's sake. It's the same with the Sam Raimi trilogy. So why they took that out, I've got no idea. But funny enough, you mentioned that Paul Giamatti is criminally underused in these films because I feel as if
1: Sally Fields
0: is also underutilised. Would you agree with that?
1: I don't know. I don't think Aunt May necessarily needs a lot there, but I think that she does the role very well. And I think she is better than Rosemary Harris and is also much more believable as an aunt. instead of like a grandma i have to admit it's not something you
0: really thought of when you were watching the films but the more you grow up and look back at it you're like yeah
1: why is she a grandmother <laughs> other than that, it just makes no sense but sorry God. cliff robertson and Ro- rosemary harris actors are like 20 to 30 years older than what they should have been from what logically makes sense as an aunt and uncle like if they were like a great aunt and uncle it makes more sense but no it doesn't really make sense for their age ranges but yeah no sally fields i think does very well in the role. I think she's very believable. She has such an impressive acting range and emotional range that she's able to portray. I think she does play the role of what is essentially just like a concerned ant at all times. Because as you say, there's not too much that they do with her Aunt May character, other than her just being concerned about Peter coming back with like a black eye and coming back super late at night and having a very creepy wall covered in thread and pictures and stuff trying to solve what happened to his father and mother. There's always so much concern over the father and never the mother. The mother is like never brought up. It's always about <laughs> Richard Parker. <laughs> It's actually so true. Oh, my God. I
0: don't even know what the mother's name was. Definitely. Oh, look at Spider-Man's mum. Spider-Man's mum. Right, okay. Mary Parker. I okay. was right. But how would you know that Of It's not like Martha Wayne or something like that. How do Why know do, you that name, that that name? Name? do you know
1: that name? the reason I remember Richard Parker is because they cast the same guy from Life of Pi to be that scientist CEO guy who is also in Life of Pi. And the tiger in Life of Pi is called Richard Parker. So he is, yeah. And so every time I just go, Richard Parker... <laughs>
0: That is so true. You're, you're completely right, though, because there's even a scene where Aunt May just breaks down It's just like, why are you so concerned about your father? And he's like, oh, I going to find my father. It's like, but why? This deadbeat, like, just
1: ran away. You know, well, obviously it's not a deadbeat, but... The father's plan, the parent's plan, was they didn't want Peter to always be looking over his shoulder, growing up always looking over his shoulder, and that they are in danger. If that was so much a concern, why didn't Richard just leave? and Mary stay with Peter. Why did they both need to go? If the concern is, oh, well, Mary would be in danger if she stayed, then why wouldn't Peter be in danger? I'm going to be honest, I don't think they wanted their child. They just got an out and they were like, bye, enjoy your time with your aunt and uncle. That's the way it kind of feels, isn't it? I will give them credit at the fact that we ad- actually address the parents in this one and we get a little bit of backstory, which we do not get in any other live action movie. We don't get any semblance of a backstory to Peter. Peter's parents and any of the others. And like both the first Amazing Spider-Man and the second Amazing Spider-Man start with Clips showing a little bit more of the backstory. In the second one, we have them fleeing on a plane and then fighting this like agent, and he's like trying to like upload some files at the same time. Like, while he's fighting? I love so much that in why is so the film takes place in like 2014. We'll say we'll say we'll say, we'll say 2014. It takes place in because that's when the film came out. They leave Peter Parker when he is let's say six, so about ten years prior. So we're looking at probably about 2000. 2004 when this event takes place what airplane has an ethernet connection to begin with that he can plug into that is so good that even when the plane is plummeting following a exploded engine that he is able to upload these files this quickly you couldn't download a picture within like 10 minutes in 2004 from your home the internet in this 2004 airplane that's crashing has better ethernet connection than most houses in Scotland do now. You know,
0: I don't even think I got my own, well, not my own, but, like, the family computer until, like, 2005. I didn't get my own private jet internet until last year. (laughs) Do you know, that was, like, a very missed opportunity for one of these internet companies to be like, you know those files Richard Parker uploaded before he died? That was our internet
1: connection.
0: <laughs> like Sky Broadband coming and be like, oh yeah,
1: AT&T or T, yeah,
0: Verizon coming and works even when crashing a plane. <laughs> your plane might crash, but your internet won't. <laughs> Just a tagline. Do you want to know a fun alternate scene for the ending of this film? What's that? Richard Parker survived. <laughs> And he actually turns up at the grave of spoilers for later on in the discussion, but the grave of Gwen Stacy, and they like talks to Peter, and they have like this huge blowout and everything, and then they start talking, and yeah, he he survived. Technically, he's still alive. Maybe he's long dead, apparently, because as you said, the film doesn't give two hoots about her, but... Richard Parker survived. So yeah. Did you see that
1: scene by any chance? No, I've not seen any deleted scenes or anything like that. Yeah, I mean there are comic book adaptations which do have his parents being alive and returning and i think there was one where like aunt may gives them a right telling off for how neglectful they've been sally field's about to throw down hands with richard
0: parker with her nursing training that went absolutely nowhere and I know, I know we kind of just complained there about her not having much to do but i feel as if in the second film they just said i screw it just put her in a hospital and just have her look after people and it's like why this is the thing that confused me because don't get me wrong, like I don't want to undersell nurses or anything, but it's like, she keeps saying things like, oh, I'm taking night classes to be a nurse and everything. Is it that easy to become a nurse over there that you just take one or two
1: night classes and then all of a sudden you're telling people what to do in their own wards? There are courses where you can train to become a nurse, so I think that's feasible. And may- it might be that she's- she was previously, and so she didn't need, she's needed a, a bit more, because I think the idea is that they don't have Bens income or pension or whatever anymore. Yeah,
0: so they need to have like a secondary source. Yeah, because yeah. she does have not a meltdown, but she has an argument about that. She says that, "Oh, your uncle Ben's not here, and I need money to send you to college." So, yeah, that's why she takes the job. But it just feels random that that's what they chose. And again, like nothing against nurses or anything, but it just seems
1: well, like again, a large... she, she she might have had previous experience as it, and she seems a very kind of caring individual. I guess it's supposed to kind of point to her as a character as being quite caring and so they made her a nurse. I was gonna say it could have been worse. She could have been one of the pilots on those planes. Pull up, pull up, Devin. Yeah, that was a very interesting scene. I like we, we we cut away to this like plain watchtower of them all like celebrating. The guy's like, We have a job to do, get back to work. And it's like, Why have we cut to this? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel as if
0: that is, before we go on to talk about the other characters, I feel as if that is my main problem with the sequel compared to the first one because I feel as if the first film flows a lot better. You know, it goes from Peter slowly becoming Spider Man and then he has to fight his, I was going to say mentor, but it's not. Not really, it's just some dude that worked with his dad. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh right, you're related to some guy he used to work with, so...
1: Spider-Man has always got some connection to his villain. It's so interesting that there's always some level of connection with whoever he's up against. But see, to be fair, they
0: are getting weaker. Compared to the Raimi trilogy, it looks as if he does have a connection. And don't get me wrong, I feel as if with him and the lizard, it's quite good. But then it's like by the second film, it's like some random guy guy saved on the street, suddenly becoming a supervillain, you're like, huh, okay, this is um, this is quite strange. But, sorry, going back to my point there, I feel as if the second film is just 50 films, just mashed into one, because and this is what I was saying at the very beginning about the kind of detriment of the MCU, because I feel as if the MCU, as amazing as it is, every single studio at the time knew how lucrative it was. So, you had the, I can't remember what you call it, was it the The Monster Cinematic Universe. Oh, Oh. the Dark Cinematic Universe. That was the one, yeah, where they had The Mummy and no films after that, (laughs) because it didn't do well. You had the DCU, which kind of took off. In fact, I don't even know if the DCU would have been a thing back then, would it? Probably
1: in the planning. Not yet, because they just concluded with the, The Dark Knight Rises. Man of Steel had come out around that time, so that was the first of that kind of group of films. But yeah, there was no Aquaman or Batman vs. Superman or Wonder Woman or anything like that yet. When it came to the second film, they definitely wanted
0: to do their own cinematic universe. They wanted to do their Sinister Six film, their Amazing Spider-Man 2 3 and 4. They wanted uh I think a black cat spin-off. There was just so many. It, it just it was a film that do you know what it actually reminds me of going back to the MCU? It reminds me of Age of Ultron. You know that way when it was just it was a low Load of things just mashed together, and then they were like, We're going to set up these pieces, and then we're going to branch off from that. I mean, would you say that's the case? for this
1: film I don't know there's certainly aspects to it trying to set up other films it wasn't super in your face until right at the end oh yeah with the sinister six, the wardrobe gallery yeah choose your character <laughs> yeah so I, I do think that they were definitely hoping that this could evolve into more movies and I think that was the plan up until they made the deal with Disney to do the Tom Holland Spider-Man and have that incorporate, it was so much of a success that they were like like, oh, we don't really want to return to this universe of Spider-Man because it wasn't as well-received. So we want to just try and focus on on this new one. And, like, I think when they planned to do the Venom movie, the idea was that it would be connected to the Andrew Garfield universe. But I think they've retconned that to now be within the Tom Holland universe. Morbius, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have zero idea where Morbius fits in. I did not watch that movie. No, me neither. So I don't know where, where Morbius fits in the grand Spider-Man universe scheme of things, but I can't see Jared Leto appearing in any MCU film anytime soon, that's for sure.
0: Well, you never know. It was such a global box office success. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine if they just slipped in base at the end of, like, The Amazing Spider-Man 2? It's Morbid time. Do you know what would be so funny? See, if it's, like, at the end, you know how it's so stupid. The guy in shadows walks back. I can't even remember. They tell you his name. It's, like, f- Fiefs or... F- fives. Fives, I missed a fife or thief or whatever his name is. It's like he's walking by the like cabinets and it's so dumb. Why would you make an armoured suit and then purposely shape it like a rhino? The whole idea is, oh, it's supposed to be his somewhat identity. You know, the rhino, I mean. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was a guy in like a skin-tight suit with a horn on his head and he was just brutally strong, but kind of makes no sense why it's like, oh yeah, let's make metal wings, let's make octopus arms, let's make a giant rhino here. Uh, I'm sure nobody's going to ask questions here and you're like, there is a lot of non-auditing going on in this place. But can you imagine at the very end of that it's just like a pair of like vampire teeth just sitting on the podium. Just a bat just flying around like yeah, room. it's like remember right the end of the first Iron Man film where the, I can't remember the actor who played War Machine, but it's Joey's friend, he turns oh. around and he says I'll be back for you later or something like that. It's just like someone coming. Then looking at the teeth being like, I'll be back for you later. Okay, I've got a controversial take for these films and before I dive into it what are your opinions on the relationship between Peter and Gwen Stacy in this film? Because that is a moment and a particular dynamic that is very well received. But what do you think?
1: I like it. I think that it is a better chemistry and romance than Peter and MJ from the Raimi films I think it works a lot better I think they're very cute in a lot of their interactions with each other the initial scene where he tries to ask her out and is all kind of nervous about it and you can see that she's also kind of a bit kind of nervous and cutesy about it that is very sweet and you because you don't really get that with Peter and MJ, where it's more like Peter's like this underdog guy going for like the hot girl, and so she's like throwing him a bone almost. Where and and he's like yeah, woohoo, kind of thing. Whereas Peter and and Gwen here are both in each other's league. They work very well together. I I, I don't want to say in each other's league. That sounds that sounds bad.
0: <laughs> They're
1: both a ten, okay. <laughs> Peter Peter no and Gwen. Toby McGuire. Carson is is life here. <laughs> P- Peter. <laughs> Peter and, Gwen. Peter and Gwen are both awkward nerds. They are very similar. I think they work a lot better than this kind of like nerd fantasy of a nerd getting with the hot girl who's so much hotter than he is and one of the popular girls and that kind of thing. Like Gwen doesn't come across as like one of the popular girls. I think it's a lot more interesting. I think it works better. And of course, spoilers for the second film, you've gone here without worrying about spoilers so far. The death of Gwen Stacy is a very sad moment. And it's been one one of comic book's like saddest moments. I think the death of Gwen Stacy is cemented as being one of the um, most emotional scenes in comic book history. And the manner of her death as well is really graphic. Before I go on to talk about what I think of
0: Gwen Stacy, I feel as if that particular scene doesn't seem very warranted. If you think about the traditional three-act structure, or rather three-film structure, usually the second film, if you think back to the old Star Wars films, the second film, the Empire Strikes Back is where the hero's at the lowest point, but they're still kind of hopeful at the end of it. Here they just absolutely destroy Peter Parker, and they're just like, oh yeah, by the way, see the last 20 minutes, we're gonna snap your girlfriend's neck. Jesus Christ, Mark Webb, what the hell? Oh, well, I know it's not his choice, I think it was probably an executive decision, because I'm pretty sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was that scene not in, like, all the promotional material? Car falling and the
1: clock tower and everything at the time? I think you're right I think that was a lot of the promotional material of her falling but obviously they didn't show the death but I mean it was pretty pretty implied yeah because it is you're right it's a very
0: iconic scene in the comics and it is a scene that they did portray in the Sam Raimi film which yeah yeah, it's not the same they imply the same things that oh he has to save the woman that he loves and obviously saves them because killing her off in the first one would be a bit of a downer I'm not gonna lie but for the second one I don't know what they were thinking unless Emma Stone who does a fantastic job in this but unless her contract was maybe running out I don't know or she just wasn't signed on for any more films maybe that's why but I don't feel as if they had built up enough momentum or you know likeability of this particular iteration to then say oh by the way we're killing her off because I do agree I think that the relationship does work but what I will say is I kind of prefer their relationship in the first film compared to the second one like I feel as if in the first film there is that back and forth and everything and it's very cutesy it's very over the top but I I do like it. I think it's very sweet and Gwen Stacy as a character is very capable. This is something I brought up last week where you would usually get Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane screaming
1: into the camera. Again, not her fault, but Sam Raimi loves a screaming woman directly into the camera. Oh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Every fucking transition was a screaming woman directly into the camera. The one scene
0: actually, sorry, I know I'm going back to the Raimi films, but one scene I absolutely hate in the second one is see when Dr. Octopus is climbing up the, I don't even know what building, it's like a building that's full of offices. Yeah, and the woman like runs away from the window. Yeah, she like runs back and forth and then she runs right to the camera and screams and I'm like why? Like there's no reason for it. Like she could scream and run off screen but she just screams into the camera and you're like really, Remy? Really? Who would do that? Who just stands in a room and screams like that? You would run screaming. Yeah, it's, it's silly. But anyway, I feel as if Gwen is a very independent and very capable character. You know, she's not one to shy away from danger. To her detriment in the end. Yeah, but th- that's the thing that I don't agree with, because there's a scene where Peter, of course, he is haunted by her dad for the first, like, quarter of this film, and it is the most stupid thing ever, when he keeps looking over and he sees, like, the ghost face of her dad standing there, because in the first film, spoilers again, the first to so, him, um, he gets killed off. So he's like, don't take my daughter because it'll you know, only bring her pain. And you know, he just sees him just standing there silently. What is this memeability rubbish? But anyway, so there's a moment where he webs her up to like a car to stop her from coming to the Electro plant. No pun intended there to call it the Electro plant, but it's basically where he has the big fight scene with Electro, and don't worry, we'll get on to Electro, but she absolutely runs him over with a car which is hilarious and then she makes this like huge speech about him saying oh what are you Neanderthal oh you're going off to war and I can't fight my battles like don't get me wrong I completely agree with that sentiment but it's kind of contradicted when she does get killed in the end and you're like well that
1: was pointless speech she got yeah. absolutely brutally murdered. I think that is my criticism as well that like if they'd had another movie if they'd known they had which of, of course they, they did not have another movie but if they if they had another movie and they knew they had another movie I wish that they had spaced out the death of Gwen Stacy to the third movie to at least give a movie's distance between the dad dying in, and his dying wish being like keep her safe don't hang out with her and then the next movie just not immediately but by the end of the movie killing her you need that one movie gap at least I think for it to not feel clumsy and I think I think that's what it ultimately ended up being I think it ended up being quite a clumsy decision to kill her at that point I think it ruins what they'd built up
0: no I totally agree with you there I do think that they should have spaced it out a wee bit more but the other criticism I will say that's more prevalent for The Amazing Spider-Man 2 than the first film is obviously they're trying to you know get together and everything but they waste so much time with them saying, oh, will they get together, won't they? Because it's like, he practically kisses her right in front of the whole school and everything. And, you know, oh, they're dating, oh, it's fine. But then he has like an argument outside a dim sum place and he's like, oh, oh, I can't be with you anymore. And then there's another scene where it's like, oh, I can be with you, oh, I can be with you. And it feels like a completely different movie at that point. And that obviously is like my biggest gripe with the film, but especially for that, it just, it feels as if we interrupt up this superhero film for, I don't know, Hallmark slash Channel 5 film, you have to stick to one thing or the other. Say what you will about the Sam Raimi or Tom Holland films, but at least they're both consistent with the way they portray everything and the way the pacing's set up. With this one it does feel as if it's all over the place. And speaking of all over the place, will we move on to quite possibly one of the more, I don't even know if infamous is the right word, but the villains of this piece.
1: Yeah, we have three major villains across these two films. We have Dr. Connors as the lizard in the first Amazing Spider-Man, and then we have both Electro and Harry Osborn Green Goblin in the second one. I don't mind the lizard, in the first Amazing Spider-Man. I think it's an interesting enough villain. I think that the actor, Rice Iphens. I think that he's a pretty decent actor portraying the role of Dr. Connors. I think that it's very kind of interesting. I don't enjoy his line when we kind of initially meet him where he we see that he has only one arm and he goes, I'm not a cripple, I'm a scientist. And I was like, I don't think you can say that. I think that's un-PC. So what's that got to do with anything? Yeah, (laughs) you can be both. I mean, cripple is not a particularly great term anyway I mean the character has one arm I guess he can use whatever language he wishes for himself but like, you don't need to define yourself by either thing. You, you can be someone who is differently abled and also a scientist. That's not like an uncommon thing. People who have like one eye or... Stephen Hawking. Yeah, or Stephen Hawking, a thing like that. Like we see them as having both this illness and that they're a great scientist. You're completely
0: right. It just seems like a weird line to throw in there to be like, oh, I'm a capable scientist. All of the students looking around our interns going, nobody said that. What's wrong with you? no i will agree the only thing i will say about the lizard as a whole is i'm not a big fan of the cgi i have to say i think he looks like a goomba from the super mario brothers film.
1: yeah i can understand that perspective i think the cgi wasn't quite there yet in terms of making a convincing design i mean obviously the, d- the design itself didn't help but i think that the, the cg just w- wasn't quite there yet
0: i wish i could say it got better when they returned in no way home but they had them half the film probably because they didn't want to animate him
1: <laughs> he yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember how, how different he was actually i'd have to i'll be watching that film probably this week i'll have to see if it's very much different but yeah i think it was an interesting take on the character one thing i particularly liked and this is more spider-man than the villain itself but just in the first film when peter is like trying to identify like where he is and trying to kind of create a like warning signal he like fires webs in like multiple directions to use like a vibration technique on the webs. And it's the most spider-like thing that I think any Spider-Man has done that I've seen in the Spider-Man movies. And I was like, that is such a neat little trick. I really, I really like that. So I thought that was really cool. I like that a lot. Did not enjoy Peter attempting to take a picture of the lizard and leaving his fucking name on the back of his camera. (laughs) To be fair, though, he
0: was still in school. You can kind of understand that, as stupid as it is, you can kind of understand why he would make such a rookie mistake, but the one thing I don't like, and this is going to sound like a really minor thing, and you might think, oh, is it when he tries to turn the whole city into lizards? Like, no, I, I don't like that idea, but at the same time, I can see why the character does it. You know, it's because he wants him to be, like, superhuman or super lizard as it were but it's the way he says poor Peter Parker and I'm not gonna try to replicate it it sounds like Davy Jones from (laughs) of the Caribbean doesn't it it's like I don't want to be popping into your ear to say it but it's just such a weird way Peter Parker (laughs) pick 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 Parker Pickle Peppers and then he's just locked up and never really brought up again yeah I would say out the three villains he is probably the strongest Electro I don't know how to feel about electro i have to say yeah i'm i'm very mixed on him as well i feel as if there was scope to make him tragic and i feel as if they learn nothing from Spider-Man 3. Again, there's this whole argument that I'm making that say what you will about Spider-Man 3 but at least the tone was consistent with it. But the fact they had two separate villains, Electro being one of them, and this weird German doctor. I text you Andrew, when mm-hmm. I was watching this film I think the actual character is like a comic character, supposedly. I don't know if it's supposed to be like a woman in the comics or whatnot. I don't. I I don't know, enough about the character to have like a definitive thing to say oh it's a bad representation but the fact they go for like the German mad scientist route of we have ways of making you talk yeah and you're like this is 2014 might I just add it's not like the remy era I think the most offensive accent they probably had was that woman on the violin and the remy films but and this one you're just like why do we have like a German like you was bothered about that as I was when you first saw that
1: it does feel very like movie Villain, where they like, oh, who should we cast the Nazi scientist kind of role and the Russian, yeah, like it's always either Russian or German or occasionally British. I've just looked up Doctor Kafka, who's who the, the character is playing, and it is usually a woman. It seems like they made the 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 brave choice of of casting a German scientist to play a role usually played by a woman. I don't think it was particularly interesting character. Just it was just kind of like cookie cutter, evil scientist number three. I didn't like that choice very much. I thought Electro himself was an interesting ish villain. I liked some of what they were doing the special effects the electricity was beautiful yeah I will agree there particularly in Amazing Spider-Man 2 as opposed to Amazing Spider-Man 1 Amazing Spider-Man 1 had some very good special effects as well but I think the special effects and the lighting choices and whatnot for Amazing Spider-Man 2 was very very well done I think it was very pretty did not like the choice of music the dubstep choice wop, wop. for for uh, Electro was interesting I guess they were like oh we need electric music what's like electric music we'll go dubstep what's that skrillex chap doing today <laughs> yeah and the fact they made itsy bitsy spider into dubstep at the end hardcore yeah god what, <laughs> what was this choice his motivation of just being like weird obsessed guy who no one pays attention to and so is obsessed with the fact that anyone, anyone who gives him the time of day is his new favourite friend and obsesses over them kind of thing that is interesting but I don't know I think it's just a bit lazy. The way that he got his powers of falling into like the, the vat of eels. Why are villains always falling into vats of things? Who's leaving all these open vats for people to fall into? Pure safety regulations, apparently. I was actually thinking that exact thing when I was watching the movie. I was like, why is he reaching over to fix this cable? The safety regulations here are ridiculous. Like, I just say he, he wanted to get out so he could get to his party because it was his birthday. But like, if he designed the grid and was very familiar with electricity, he would know plugging these in together was going to elect- like. So he should have made sure he had the right kind of equipment before he attempted to use that so I think that was very poor writing the fact that someone who is smart enough that they designed an entire electrical grid apparently wouldn't know to use the right safety equipment when handling high voltage equipment so I I don't think that was very smartly done the use of his powers is very interesting like his phasing in out of like, existence and like rematerialize himself he was almost like Dr. Manhattan at times
0: yeah that's what I thought I have to say do watch and I was like huh very watchman-esque I have to admit then I don't know if you feel the same way, but do you remember Batman Forever, the one with the Riddler? Oh, the Jim Carrey one? Yeah, that's the one. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Batman Forever, but it does remind me of Jim Carrey's character, that both of them are obsessed fanatics of either Bruce Wayne or... Batman and Batman Forever, and of course, Spider Man in this one, but they're both fanatics of these particular heroes. And when their heroes betray them, they're like, Oh no, i got to kill them or make them suffer, blah blah. Yeah, it just seems as if it is a trope that is safe enough, you know? It's like it's something we have seen before and we've seen it done, but I don't know. I, d- I just, I don't feel as if, again, I'm probably gonna sound like a broken record here, but the fact that that we don't really get enough time to learn about Max. Don't get me wrong, we learn everything that, oh, he's a loner, he's obsessed with Spider-Man. Because it is a weird scene when he's got, ironically enough, the same thing Peter does later on for his dad. He has, like, the huge wall of Spider-Man stuff on it to celebrate his birthday. He has to wrestle with the Harry Osborn subplot, the Gwen the Peter subplot, the Totally Spy subplot. <laughs> with his parents the fact that peter for some reason goes underground and fights an even undergroundier train that rises up from the tracks which how why who put that there i don't know but i mean that was a weird weird side scene because i know why they put it in and everything it was to be like oh peter don't use my blood it's poisonous peter But. Yeah, they put that in, so you're wrestling with all these subplots, and of course, as we said, the Aunt May subplots, so you're wrestling with all these subplots, and he doesn't really get time to breathe, so see when he becomes a villain, it doesn't really feel earned, you know, he just suddenly snaps and becomes a villain.
1: Yeah, I guess the powers made him a lot easier to anger, and like he seemingly, when he walked out into the street and into Times Square, claiming like needing to absorb electricity, and like he kind of had that desire. It seemed like he was scaring people, and I think initially he was trying to be good and calm down, and then he got shot by the sniper, and that's what triggered him to be bad. And seeing that Spider Man then got the attention and that seemingly was kind of against him flipped him over the edge. But yeah, if a sniper hadn't shot him. Would Spider-Man have been able to de-escalate the situation enough that they could have dealt with it better? It's hard to say. There are moments where you kind of do feel for him, but it was a very strange character. And I think it says a lot that in No Way Home, when we get him back again, he has a very different appearance and mannerisms. He's not the kind of like nervous, nerdy guy that he was in this movie. They change him up quite a lot. I guess Jamie Foxx didn't want to go through that makeup to look all kind of weird like that again. Fair enough, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, I can sympathise. Going back to the Times Square scene, I, I do find it horribly
0: ironic that there's a particular scene where Electro fires all of the electricity towards the, is it like the red steps? I don't know if there's like an official name for them. But it's like, you know how all the people are running up the stairs and they're about to grab onto the sides and they're going to get like absolutely electrocuted mm-hmm. and then there's a car coming towards them. And in that split second, Spider-Man has hypersenses where he's like, okay, what I've got to do is I've got to stop the car, then I've got to stop these two people from touching, touching the rails. The rail, yeah. So it's like, there's so many things going on at once that you can calculate. But when it comes to saving Gwen Stacy, he wasn't so good at that, was he?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can you can argue that it's a little bit of a different situation, but... Yeah, I know, he was tired and he was fighting the Green Goblin. I
0: know, I know. I'm roughing. In case any Andrew Garfield fans do come after me. The one thing <laughs> I will
1: mock about that Gwen Stacy scene is the web forming a hand. I actually don't mind that i have to say i think it looks cheesy i don't like it very much their whole relationship was cheesy to be fair going back to Electra, though yeah there was there was a lot of his comments that i was like oh that wasn't very good there was one moment i actively booed at the screen where he went it's my birthday and now it's time to light my candles and then he like fired off his like electric powers at people i was like oh boo that sucked Back to the drawing board. I was like, when did he say that? And I went, like, oh, yeah, it was after he got his peppers." Yeah, that was that. I was talking to my partner about this. I was like, it's no longer his birthday. And maybe I can give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe he didn't realize because he died and then like woke up the next day. But I'm pretty sure that it's not his birthday at that point. See, no all honestly,
0: that's all you know about him. He lives alone, he designed the grid, and he has a birthday. That's his three kind of defining characteristics, I want to say. <laughs> he doesn't really have much else going. And I know that's the point of the character, but when you're watching, Watching a film, it doesn't really make it interesting if it's not more focused on him. But speaking of focus, the final character that we have to talk about before we finish up is Harry Osborne who has
1: goblinitis. I don't even know what it is he's got. No, I don't think they ever specify the disease. I no, think it's, it's made, yeah. up, made up shit. The big goblin... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I genuinely don't know, so I'm going to call it goblinitis. But it's weird because one minute he's fine, and then by the end of the film, he's obviously like retching and turning literally green. And it's like, how long did it take for his dad to turn versus him? But you know, obviously they put it in to raise the stakes and everything.
1: I think the point his dad was making on his deathbed was like he's handing him like these files that elongated his life. Obviously not, they weren't very good, and he had a poor life. From it. And so I think Harry was trying to find a better solution so he didn't have to be like bedridden while others try and like figure stuff out for him.
0: I uh, just feel the overall their relationship between Peter and Harry is not as strong, I would say. Obviously, they make it out as if, oh, they've been best friends forever, but Harry went out the country to Europe for some reason while Peter fought like a giant lizard and everything. And they oh, obviously, I know why, because they didn't have that all planned out at the time of the Amazing Spider Man getting filmed but they do make it out as if they have like this long history yet it doesn't really feel as if they have like a long history together and you said something and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up but you said something quite controversial when you said that do you still believe this that this Harry is worse than the Raimi Harry? I found
1: him to be insufferable (laughs) In this, there are moments where Dane DeHaan is good as Harry, and I think that he is interesting, but he's such a smug little shit and like you can say like that's intentional and that's how harry Osborne should be but like i just did not buy his character very well and i don't think that he the way he acted was not the way someone who would who peter would have been friends with would have acted you wouldn't think that peter growing up raised by uncle ben and, and aunt, aunt may would not be hanging out with the smuggle shit he would get into fights with the smuggled sheds i don't think that that was an accurate representation of who harry osborne should have been i think there are moments where he does show a stronger side then there are moments where he's having the conversation with peter about gwen and like asks if gwen's a model employee at Corp. and I was like, oh, that's such a cringy line. Like, that's really, a, like, that's such an uncomfortably cringy line. Then when he does the, when he transforms and appears, like, hovering on the glider, and he's got this, like, weird grin on his face, he looks so sp- stupid and the lines are awful and cheesy and everything doesn't quite work. I can't put into words well enough, I'm afraid, but he is just not an interesting enough interpretation of it. I don't like James Franco's interpretation much. And of course, there's huge criticisms around how he acts it and portrays it. But I think there are moments where each are better and each are worse than each other. I don't think necessarily either are how Harry Osborn should be portrayed but I don't think that Dane DeHaan does a good job.
0: He definitely choose the scenery, but not in the best ways. I brought this up, and I know we were discussing it last week, but the idea that James Franco as Harry Osborne, at least he comes across as being very awkward. At least in the first couple of films, I know I've said that I wasn't a big fan of his acting, but at least he comes across as awkward, and you can kind of get why Peter would be his friend but you're you're completely right in this one, but it, it's just as if. Oh, this rich arsehole who's like, oh, I'm dying of goblinitis. In this film, Harry Osborne as a character doesn't really seem to be likable, and I know obviously, oh, he's a villain, why should he be likable? But you can't even see him as like a tragic figure, because he kills off Gwen Stacy, who at this point, anyway, in our discussion is probably the better love interest. So to be the only Green Goblin so far that has killed a love interest, just a weird choice. I'm going to be honest, it's just a weird choice overall, with just everything. With the Green Goblin, with the way he acts as Harry Osborn, with the way he acts as, as I said, the Goblin, with the way he does that weird thing that St. Jesse Eisenberg does in Not Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman when they arrest them. that they kind of allude to, oh, there's a bigger plan in play, and they give out all of their suits, which is dumb as hell. Wrapping up, though, Wrapping up our kind of thoughts overall on this particular entry, how would you rate the amazing Spider-Man films would you say they stand up would you say they were overly criticised or would you say they weren't overly criticised enough
1: I think they stand up and I think that they both stand up and I think that they are underrated I do think that they are worthy representations of the Spider-Man comic books I think that they are probably the closest interpretation to the comic books of any of the Spider-Man movies I think they, they do very well at that I do like some of the relationships as we've mentioned before i like the relationship between peter and gwen i enjoy the sally fields character as as aunt may i think that's very well done i think that the special effects are very well done and as i've mentioned i would really really like how andrew garfield portrays spider-man i think he is arguably the best at portraying spider-man but i do think that there are a lot of weaknesses to these two movies i would not hold them in his high regard as many i think that the first amazing spider-man is on par with the best of the Sam Raimi movies, but the second Amazing Spider-Man is on par with Spider-Man 3. So it does well in some regards and doesn't do well in others, and I think it kind of holds its head at a very similar level to what the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films are able to achieve. I think it's as worthy a representation as the initial trilogy. But what are your thoughts?
0: I'll give you a fun fact before I dive into my thoughts, but do you know this is the only Spider-Man film with a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh really, that's very interesting. Even compared to Spider-Man 3, which is really surprising to me personally, but what I will say is I felt as if the amazing Spider-Man films held up better than I remembered them because obviously we've both aged a lot since we first saw them in the cinemas and everything. I think that they do a good job for what they're trying to portray but I also do think that they are quite grim <laughs> at times. I think that tonally they're all over the place. This is what I'll say. The actors for the most part do a fantastic job. Like I feel as if out of maybe all three of them, bar maybe a couple of exceptions in the MC you, I feel as if the acting is probably the strongest here. You know, I think Andrew Garfield does a great job, and I have to say, it wasn't until I watched him in No Way Home that I actually reconsidered that, oh, maybe I was too harsh on him when I watched it initially, so I went back, I rewatched it, and I thought, well, actually, it wasn't as bad, it was just kind of everything around in terms of plot, tone, pacing, those kind of things which brought the film sound. What I will say as well, even for the second one, I I was very surprised at the positive reception that I found that a lot of people had for this film. So, for example, I uh, put out a tweet saying that I was actually re-watching this film, and I asked, I said, what do you think of this film? Do you think it's overheated, or do you think it's not criticised enough? And I have to admit, there were some, like, hilarious responses. One from the Space Castle podcast said, it's like, if early 90s Joe Schumacher made a Spider-Man movie, which I think was personally scathing. God of Pod said I really enjoyed it because Andrew Garfield is my fave Spidey. There's a ton of pointless dead space in the movie but I don't care. Overheated, in my opinion. Some of the Spidey action is top drawer. Absolutely agree. Their nostalgic podcast as well had said it was overheated, and he loves this movie and yes they tried to jam too much into this as Sony does but it wasn't bad at all. Just missed a few beats of a solo but it was overall a good show. There's actually a lot of really mixed opinions, because that's the thing with these kind of films. Usually you expect everybody to hate them, everybody to say, oh, I think this is the worst thing, so it's unsliced bread and everything. But the majority, even from there's another comment here from the Scottish Wrestling Network podcast that says it was a disservice to Andrew Garfield. I loved his Spider-Man, but the second film let him down, which seems to be quite a universal consensus. There's another one reiterating what I said earlier, the podcast Nobody asked for, saying it's a perfect example of when a film focuses too much on setting up a future story rather than telling its actual current story. But there is like such a mix to be honest. I was just really surprised when I put out that tweet because I expected everyone to relatively come back and say oh we thought this was a terrible film burn it, burn it and that wasn't the case. It's interesting to see that although The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 are considered as like that awkward middle child you know of the franchise It's not as revered as the Raimi trilogy, but it's not as beloved as the MCU ones which have come out. It's kind of that middle awkward transitional phase. And I feel as if like a lot of that is just purely because it came out at the time it did. And don't get me wrong, I know there's a lot of talented people involved in this film and I'm really happy that Andrew Garfield got a second chance through No Way Home. But I do agree. I feel as if the Amazing Spider-Man 2 definitely let his character and the actor as a whole, all the actors involved, really down with a lot of things, whether that be studio interventions or rewrites or whatever the reason was behind the failings of this film. I think it is just a shame that it went out the way it did because there's a lot in this film I'm going to end in a more positive note but I feel as if there's a lot in this film that there is to like about it. As we said, the Spider-Man the action's good, the actors are good. The one thing I will say, and this is probably going to sound so disgusting, but the one thing I'm not about big fan of is, see the first person perspective of Spider-Man
1: swinging. That's interesting. I actually quite enjoyed that. I thought it was quite unique because we haven't really had that before. I like it in the first film, I have to say, even though it's clear it's been made
0: for the big screen, like Mm -hmm. for IMAX or something like that. The second film, and also there is like a weird kind of first person view where you're right up against Peter's face in the first one. You're like, what is that? But the one I actually did laugh at was at the very beginning after the whole plane crash scene is the scene where spider-man's swinging through the city and you get this weird pov from his crotch and everybody's like oh so cool i'm flying like spider-man and i'm sitting looking around going is nobody else noticing that the camera's practically coming out his crotch i did (laughs) i did
1: i did actually notice that when i was watching i was like this i was like this can't quite be pov because we're not what seeing it from what would be eye level but yeah i think it's like it was almost like around his like stomach around his waist or or like his chest or something like that. It was not eye level where the camera was, so that that was a bit of a strange choice. I did enjoy that kind of perspective, that angle. I thought that was interesting. I think what you were saying earlier about the time it came out being unfortunate, I I agree with that. I think that it being kind of nestled between a very successful group of MCU movies was difficult for it in terms of like having the comparison there. And people were always, because of like how it was not that long after the Sam Raimi films, people were always going to compare it to those films, and particularly with nostalgia glasses, having so many see that incarnation as their Spider-Man, that that was the definitive Spider-Man because it was really the first for the majority of people. So it was always going to be an uphill battle for these two movies, and I don't think it, and it didn't necessarily help itself in some ways. But I don't think that it deserves the criticism that it got. And once again, Andrew, thank you so much
0: for coming on, and not only subjecting yourself to both of these films again, but yeah, just
1: coming. On and discussing these films in great length. No problem at all. Thank you for having me on, and I'm very much looking forward to wrapping up this with the final three movies that we're going to discuss. Oh yeah,
0: I can't wait for us to move on to the MCU and finally discuss
1: probably. Oh,
0: uh, if I, I'm going to leave it there, because I was going to say probably everybody's favourite iteration, but that is quite debatable. So it's going to be a lot of watching from both of us. Oh god, yeah, <laughs> a lot of research. I expect like a whole IMDb. Page worth of trivia from me next week. You will be disappointed. <laughs> See me after class. It's just a wiki link. <laughs> but yeah, what did you think of the Amazing Spider-Man films? Did you think they lived up to the hype? Did you think, oh, maybe not? Please let us know. Either reach out to us on Twitter at Pod or reach out on the contact page of the Chatsunami website, podpage.com forward slash Chatsunami. But yeah, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug Andrew.
1: Yeah, for sure. If people would like to follow me, they can do at GreenShield95 on Twitter and at GreenShield95 on Twitch, where I sometimes stream some things like geoguessr Recently, stream some Doom. Sometimes some Call of Duty. Sometimes some FIFA. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty eclectic group of games that I often stream. I'm gonna be looking to see some more games to stream soon. So yeah, check me out if you have not already. I always appreciate your follow. I'm hoping to get affiliate by the end of. End of spring. Definitely go check that out.
0: Absolutely fantastic content. But until then, thank you all so so much for swinging by. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. I was actually
1: waiting for a funny one. <laughs> we don't always have to be funny, satsu Yes, you're right. This is a serious moment. <laughs> With great power comes great endings.
0: You have a moral obligation <laughs> to have a serious ending, not choice responsibility.